Good morning, church. Uh, We'll be reading from Mark 15, verses 1 through 15, and that's on page 852 um, in the Bibles we have here. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man who you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, Thank you, Scotty. Uh, It's good to be with you. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at... Redeemer Church. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us. There's a connect card under your under your chair. If you'd take a minute and fill that out, uh, we would love an opportunity to connect with you to see how we could serve you, to see how we can plug you into the life of the body. Um, also, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, Rodney will be happy to bring you on. I'm getting every ounce of service I can out of you, man. This is Rodney's last Sunday with us, so I'm putting him to work today. So if you're on your phone or your tablet, we, uh, we use the, the ESV, and you can follow along there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 15. So if you're new to the faith or new to Redeemer or just checking us out, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark basically since the beginning of our life as a church. Um, Mark is 16 chapters long, and we've been going through the Gospel of Mark since February of 2021. And we're going to finish Mark in three weeks from today. We're going to talk about uh, the, the crucifixion next week, the resurrection the following week, and the Great Commission the week after that. And we're going to be finished in the Gospel of Mark. And again, it's 16 chapters long. In the first 10 chapters of Mark, the, the writer, Mark, takes an overview of about 33 years of Jesus' life. And then when we get to chapter 11, Jesus rides into town on a donkey in what's known as the triumphal entry. So the last six chapters of the Gospel of Mark, they span one week. So we've got 40% of Mark's Gospel are covering this final week of of Jesus' life. So that's where we've been as a church since March of this year. We've been in this last week of Jesus' life. We've been moving towards the cross and towards the resurrection of Jesus. In the last several months, the context of of these passages uh, center around what's known as the Passover week. So just as a refresher, Passover is a celebration set aside when the nation of Israel would remember a time when they were in slavery to Egypt. And Moses tells Pharaoh, hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh refuses, and so God sends plague after plague after plague on them, and uh, Pharaoh still refuses to let them go. You can look this up. This is an Exodus in the Old Testament. And Moses goes in one more time, and he says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no, and God says, I'm going to send one more plague upon them. He tells uh, Moses that he's going to kill all the firstborn sons in the land. But he told Moses to tell the Israelites, Hey, take a lamb, a pure and spotless lamb, and kill it. And then spread the blood of this lamb over the doorposts and the lintels of your door. Because I am going to strike the firstborn of all sons in the nation of Egypt. And so when the Spirit of the Lord was 
uh, hovering over, striking down the firstborns. When he'd see the, uh, the blood of the lamb, he would then pass over the houses where the blood was. So Jews from all over the known world are in Jerusalem at this time to make offerings for the pardon and forgiveness of their sins. And here we have Jesus riding into town on this donkey. Jesus knowing his purpose, his mission, he is headed to Jerusalem to make his offering to God. Jesus is going to offer himself, but not for the pardon and forgiveness of his sins, but for the pardon and forgiveness of the sins of the world. Jesus is this Passover lamb. So Jesus goes in, cleanses the temple, and then he sets off the anger of the religious leaders of the day to the point where they are dead set on getting rid of Jesus once and for all. And so through Judas, they have this guy that is going to betray Jesus just as Jesus predicted. So they're able to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane by Judas's betrayal. And last week, Campbell took us through this illegal trial of Jesus and Jesus' confession that he is, in fact, the Christ. They have the evidence they want. They have the evidence they need to put Jesus to death. But keep in mind this for a second. The Jews at this time are under uh, Roman subjection. And so in today's text, we're going to see the religious leaders of the Jews hand Jesus over to Roman authorities. There's a few things I want us to consider this morning. But first, and really mainly... One of the major thrusts that I want us to keep in mind as we're going through our text this morning, uh, and this is a hard truth. You're not going to hear this at, at every church you attend or every church you see online. Uh, most pastors aren't going to be willing to say this to you because it's really hard, but here it is. God works through the actions of sinful people to bring about his good and his perfect will. God works through the actions of sinful people to bring about his glory and you're good. It isn't God's will for you to persist in sin, and it doesn't please God when people sin against his children. So before we go any further today, I just want to stop, and I just want to say this. Man, I know some of you are just kind of limping through life. You've been hurt by people both inside and outside the capital C church, uh, and you're carrying a lot of heavy burdens. And God's inviting you to give those to him. And I just want to acknowledge your heart. I know some of you better than others, and I know we're all just trying to survive and make sense of some things that have been done to us or said about us. And I know just there's just a lot of hurts in here this morning. So I want to tell you that because of texts like this that we're about to walk through, I know we have a great high priest in Jesus who identifies with us, who knows what it's like to be mistreated, who knows what it's like to be hurt by people that he cares for. So first, let me just say I'm sorry. If you're hurting, I'm, I'm sorry. And then also, let me just encourage you. This doesn't have to be the end. This doesn't have to be the end of the, of the story for you. God is inviting you to struggle towards him because, again, God can and will and is pleased to work through the things we do and the things done to us for his glory and for our good, if, in fact, we don't give up. If you're a Christian, God can and will work in spite of all the ugly and all the hard and all the messiness for your good and for his glory. What we're going to see in this text this morning is just how true that is. That God is working regardless of how we feel about our circumstances, regardless of how bleak things look. God is for you. God is not against you. And we know this is true because of the cross of Jesus. So I want us to approach the text this morning with open hands, with open hearts. I really want us to be in a posture to receive grace and mercy through faith in the sacrifice of Christ to you this morning. So before we hop in together, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our need for you. Lord, I pray that you would just reveal any hurts that we've left unchecked, Lord, that we would lay those down at the foot of the cross. Lord, thank you for defeating sin and death on our behalf. And may you reveal yourself 
mightily this morning to us. Lord, we need your gracious embrace. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, the text says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. All right, so let's just set the scene again. It's been a long night for Jesus. A few weeks back, we see Jesus in agony praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying alone because all of his friends, all of his disciples, fell asleep. Even after Jesus asked them to remain, watch, and pray, they all fall asleep. So we see Jesus praying alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that God would remove the cup of this impending suffering that is coming for him. And yet Jesus prays, Lord, not what I want, not what I will, Father, but your will be done. And so after this, Jesus has resolved through the Father to submit to death reserved for sinners... Jesus goes and is willingly arrested into the hands of the religious leaders of the day. And after a lengthy and illegal trial where the religious leaders of the day are accusing Jesus with all these false accusations, they ask Jesus, are you indeed the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? It's at this point that Jesus says he is. He answers their question by telling them, I am the Son of Man, and I will be raised and seated at the right hand of power, the right hand of God, and I will be reigning and ruling for all eternity. Then the the council then condemns him to death because of blasphemy, which means false talk about God. But they need Rome to sign off on this execution and carry out the execution because during this trial the whole council they had broken their own laws in the process of trying to accuse Jesus and and get a confession out of him they have they have broken their own laws so this morning in our text we see these religious leaders they bind Jesus up and they lead him away imagine this an innocent man A man who has committed no wrong, he's broken no law, he's bound up like a prisoner, he's bound up like a condemned man, and he's handed over to a pagan government. He's handed over to Pilate. Pilate was essentially like a governor of this region of Judea. He's an interesting character for me in the Bible. Uh, I read a lot of history books, and one of the things I've liked reading was just kind of the rise and fall of Pontius Pilate. He's one of these guys in history that kind of receives their position based on who he married. He's received this position because of a political arrangement. He, um, he appears to have married somebody from some political standing, and so it's kind of an arranged marriage. So, like, I'm going to take part of this through your spouse, like, and I'm going to give you this. And so, Because of who he married, Pilate gets this job where he's now working for the the Roman government. And also, um, based on church history writings from uh, Eusebius and and Josephus, Pilate took pleasure in, in annoying the Jews. Like, he just wanted to annoy the Jewish leaders. He was cruel, he was merciless, and he did whatever he could to make the Jewish leaders angry. He's kind of this perpetual annoying little brother... And depending on the historical source that you read, the the hatred of the Jews would eventually cost Pilate his life. Some of the writings say, like, because of a mistake he made trying to be an antagonist of the Jews, trying to annoy the Jews, his sentence was he had to be his own executioner. Um, But for our purposes today, he's just in Jerusalem trying to keep the peace because it's Passover. He's there just in case something happens, and boy, does something happen. Here comes these Jewish leaders, and they have a prisoner. These Jewish leaders present their uh, captive Jesus to Pilate, to the governor, and they begin to bring their charges against him. And Pilate begins to interrogate Jesus. Look at verse 2. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he, being Jesus, answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. 
But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. When you read this event in comparison with the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, there are a few things that are important for you to consider when you look at the whole of Scripture. Mark tells us in verse 3 that the chief priests are accusing him of many things. Luke tells us that these, these things that they're accusing Jesus of are this. Jesus is being disobedient to Rome by trying to start an insurrection. Jesus is being disobedient to Rome because he is teaching in opposition of paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus is being disobedient to Rome because he himself is saying he's a king. And so with all of these accusations, Pilate, as a government employee, his interest is piqued about Jesus and what they're saying about Jesus. And yet, when he questions Jesus, Jesus remains silent, which fulfills another messianic prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The text tells us that Pilate was amazed by Jesus. This God-hating oppressor of God's people is amazed by God the Son, God incarnate. And yet, with all this amazement, we're going to see Pilate default to his passivity in just a few moments. But before that, Pilate does try a sneaky little way to release Jesus. Look at verse 6. Now at the feast... He used to release for them one prisoner whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So apparently Pilate, in an effort to like earn some favor with the people because he is in fact a politician, and in an effort to like keep a semi-peaceful relationship between the Roman government and the Jews they were reigning over, he used to let the people pick a prisoner. Hey, I'm going to release this one prisoner that you choose. And so once a year, these people would show up at Passover before Pilate with their, you know, like, hashtag free Britney signs. They were hanging out in the little concourse area. And Pilate would listen to the people. The text tells us that among the prisoners, there was this insurrectionist, and his name was Barabbas. So during the Roman occupation of Jerusalem, these little factions would rise up and they'd try to overthrow the most powerful government in the world. They didn't like the presence of a Roman ruler ruling over them as Jews, so they would gather together in these little groups of whatever size was a part of the insurrection at the moment, and then they'd storm the capital. I mean, they'd, they'd storm the palace and they'd try to oust Caesar. And a lot of times, these men would be considered heroes by the people. they do something on behalf of the people that most of the people didn't have the nerve to do. And yet, they'd also be a little afraid of these insurrectionists because these insurrectionists were a little sketch. So it was like, hey, thank you for trying to free us from government oppression. Enjoy your life sentence. That's kind of how the people looked at so during one of these insurrections, this guy Barabbas murdered some people, got caught, was unsuccessful in overthrowing the government, and he was placed in prison. So Pilate's thinking this. I could offer the crowds gentle and clearly innocent Jesus, or I could offer them crazy Barabbas. In Pilate's mind, he's thinking, Jesus is about to be set free because... I'm super smart. And he's going again to get after the Jewish leaders who he loves to bother. I mean, consider Jesus' relationship to everyone who was not a religious leader of the day. Jesus had healed these people for three years. Jesus had fed these people for three years. Jesus had sat with these people for three years. Jesus had taught these people, and Jesus had loved these people, and he was around these people for three years. Surely the crowds are going to choose freedom for Jesus. That's what Pilate is thinking. So here we go, moment of truth, verse 9. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? 
For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So here again, Pilate, this godless hater of God, knows it's not because Jesus is a blasphemer. He's knowing it's not because Jesus is a criminal that the religious leaders are trying to put him to death. It's not because Jesus is guilty of any religious crimes. It's because the religious leaders are jealous of Jesus. And Pilate sees this. So he calls to the crowd, Shall I release for you Jesus, the king of the Jews? And but the chief priests, they're ready for this. Verse 11, But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. The crowd's there. We want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Get this Jesus away from us. We have had enough of Jesus. Crucify Jesus. Crucify him. The crowd is screaming. And at this point, the only person who can really do anything about it is Pilate. And look at how he responds. Verse 14. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate in the other Gospels, he dips his hands in a wash basin full of water, and he symbolically washes his hands before the crowd. And he tells them, the innocent blood of Jesus is on your hands, not on mine. And that's a fate that the religious leaders and the crowd willingly accepted. They got what they wanted from Pilate. And Pilate is able to pacify the crowd. Pilate is able to keep the peace. And he passively condemns the God of the universe, the Son of God, to death. Pilate has Jesus scourged, which means beaten. And the Romans are really good at this. They have torture and execution down to an art form. And so if you're ordered to be scourged, what would happen is they would take you out into the middle of this um, circle area, this arena, if you will, and there was always a post anchored into the ground, and they'd tie you up by your wrist, and then your whole backside would be exposed. And they'd start by just beating you with rods head to toe. And then they would take this whip-like instrument. It's called the cat of nine tails. It was made with sharp metal and bone. And they'd give you 39 lashes with it. And it'd rip skin and bone and flesh off your body. And you would barely survive this beating. And then you'd be led to the cross that you would have to carry where you would be executed to pay for your crimes. Pilate releases Barabbas to the crowd. In the sovereignty of God, we have this man, Barabbas, who is locked up. His name means son of the father. And because of Jesus' presence before Pilate, Barabbas is freed. Jesus is about to die in Barabbas' place. Barabbas, condemned and guilty, is set free because of Jesus. Jesus became Barabbas' substitute. The true son of the father, innocent and sinless Jesus, would die for the sins of Barabbas. Daniel Aiken says it this way. Jesus was innocent and declared guilty. Barabbas was guilty, but treated like he was innocent. Jesus died in his place. He also died in our place so that by the amazing reversal that is the gospel, we might truly become sons and daughters of the Father. Consider this with me for a second. I think it's really easy to look at Barabbas and not see ourselves. I mean, Barabbas murdered people, right? Barabbas deserved his sentence, right? 
But if you don't see that your sin is also treasonous rebellion against a holy and righteous God, you will not fully understand God's grace and mercy to you. We are all sinners in need of grace. Man, we may have not murdered somebody in the physical sense, but Jesus says that if you're harboring hatred in your heart towards somebody, you've already committed murder against them in your heart. Jesus says if you look at a person with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If you covet, if you lie, if you insert whatever it is you want to insert right here, you have failed to reach the standard that God has set for you. We are all sinners in need of grace. We are all sinners in desperate need of help. We are all Barabbas. Every single one of us is Barabbas, needing Jesus to come and stand in our place, take the punishment that is ours to bear, and dying as our substitute. Our sin has separated us from God, who is holy and demands perfection, and apart from Jesus, we can never be reconciled back to God. We can never be right. Christ, through his sacrifice, has made a way for us to be forgiven, has made a way for us to be cleansed, has made a way for us to be restored back to him. Our sin demands a payment, and Jesus has made that payment, and he has paid it in full. Man, Jesus takes the form of a servant and becomes a ransom for us. Al Mohler says, Jesus Christ the innocent king of the Jews will suffer and die so that the guilty can be released. And listen, without the crucifixion and the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no grace and mercy without faith in Christ to save us and forgive us. There's no pardon for us from our sin. Without the crucifixion, without the resurrection, salvation in, in Jesus is not possible. The crucifixion and the resurrection means that God has accepted Christ's payment for our sins. Therefore, grace, the unmerited favor of God, has been given to you by faith through the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. Through the cross, you have been given mercy... You have been given a pardon, and like Barabbas, you don't deserve this mercy. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. Through, uh, through Christ's blood offering you forgiveness, if you are a believer in Christ, you are no longer guilty. You've been set free. Therefore, you will no longer stand condemned before a holy and righteous and just God. You have been pardoned. And what's more, mercy's great. Love mercy. But what's more is there's also grace. Christ gives us grace. Everything that was due Jesus is now ours. We deserve death, and Christ cleared our slate. And now because of his death... And this clean slate, we have been adopted into a family. We have been given sonship and all of the benefits that were reserved for Jesus. God has now graciously bestowed upon you as his children if you are indeed a Christian. Man, and none of this happens without the resurrection. And the resurrection doesn't occur without the cross and crucifixion. And the crucifixion doesn't happen without the betrayal and arrest of Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never live on our own. God is acting on your behalf in spite of you. God is acting on your behalf in spite of you. Jesus is enduring an unjust trial... Jesus is enduring an unjust sentencing so that we can benefit from the unjust trial. Where Jesus is condemned as guilty, unjustly, and unfairly, we are declared innocent, unfairly. God is acting through and in spite of sinful humanity to bring about his good and perfect will for you. 
chiefly among them, that you would in fact be saved. Sinclair Ferguson says this, Without knowing it, the religious leaders, Pilate, and Barabbas were all part of this tapestry of grace which God was weaving for sinners. Their actions spoke louder than their words, louder than the cries of the crowds for Jesus' blood. Jesus was not dying for his own crimes, but for the crimes of others. Not for his own sins, but the sins of others. He did not die for himself. He died for us. Do you believe that this morning? Do you see that this morning? Christ willingly chooses the cross for you and for the glory of the Father who delights in you because of Jesus' work for you. Christ willingly chooses to die as your substitute. What Barabbas teaches us is that you are not too far gone. You are not too far from saving. You do have to admit your need for Jesus. You need to admit your need for forgiveness and your need for saving. And if you don't see your need for a Savior, or if you think you are somehow so unlovable that you can't be saved, I just implore you to pray that God would reveal himself to you. That the Lord would soften your heart towards his grace and towards his mercy to you. To show you that you are loved and wanted and valued. And that in your sin you do need forgiveness and that you can be forgiven. And in this grace and mercy given by faith and repentance, you have been released from your sentence. You are no longer a condemned Barabbas. You are a free, loved child and an heir to a kingdom. Christian, you are free to follow and delight in Jesus. Jesus at his sentence. Jesus at his sentencing. His life was traded for a rebel's life. And at the cross, completed through the resurrection... His life is traded for your rebellion as well. Acts 2, 23-24 says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus Christ was handed over to be crucified so that your soul could be saved. You can be set free from your bondage to sin and death. All that's required of you is repentance and faith. Repentance and belief in him by grace, through faith, in the cross, in the resurrection this morning for the salvation of your soul. Man, turn from your sin. Turn from your bondage of slavery to sin and receive Christ's grace and mercy to you this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for that grace and mercy. Lord, thank you that through the cross and the resurrection, we are no longer slaves. Lord, we're no longer slaves to our sin, Lord, but we are servants of righteousness. Lord, that through your pardon, through the mercy of the cross to us, we have been granted freedom and salvation in you, Jesus, to walk with you as beloved sons and daughters of the Most High King, God of the universe. So Lord, I just pray that in these next few moments that you would move in the hearts of men and women and children in this room, Lord, to call sons and daughters to the family of God. Lord, remind us of our need for grace. Remind us of our need for mercy. Lord, show us um, the gentle and lowly heart of the Savior. Lord, who is pleased with us, in spite of us, and in pleased to work in us and through us, in spite of us. Thank you for that truth, that God became a man to save sinners. May we just rest in that, that you willingly chose the cross for us, for your glory and for our good. 
May that truth set us free this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to respond now through uh, communion. Um, Matthew 26, 26 through 29 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So on the back of both tables, we have communion cups. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us through the dying on the cross. And then the juice represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. You take the bread, you drink the juice, and you partake in a worshipful manner, remembering the cross and resurrection for the salvation of your souls. Um, the Lord's Supper, communion, those elements don't save you. So if you're not a Christian, the invitation for you is not to take communion the invitation for you is to receive Christ. I'll be in the back if you have questions about what that means. If you need prayer for, for anything, I'm happy to pray with you. We just ask that you would respond openly and honestly to how the Lord is moving in your heart this morning. You can stand and pray. Uh, you can stand and sing and lift your hands, pray with people in your family or your community group. Um, just respond honestly to how the Lord is moving this morning. Would you stand?
Through Christ. 
In Isaiah 46, the Lord says this, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. Church, the Lord our God is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. All these promises, all of these have been fulfilled in Christ. He is our strength, he is our song, and he is our anthem. So church, let's sing this together. Except by the blood of Christ, 
that he being perfect and blameless would choose for the joy set before him enduring the cross that he might win many sons and daughters to himself. Oh Lord, help us to see you, help us to know you, that we would walk in repentance, that we would know the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that you, Lord, would do great and mighty things in our lives, through our lives, and that you would receive all praise, honor, and glory that is rightfully due your name. Come soon, Lord Jesus, as you have promised. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, you can be seated uh, for just one second, please. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us again. Uh, I know that Tanner announced it at the beginning, but if you would, if you're a guest with us, uh, if you would, there's a connect card on your chair. Uh,